The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. Um, Welcome to those of you joining online. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8. We'll pick up where we left off last week. We made it through um, verse 17, so we'll be starting in verse 18 this week. And uh, it's that glorious time of year. When the mature whitetail buck is roaming around in daylight, it's a good time to be a bow hunter. Now, a lot of people don't understand um, bow hunting. They don't understand why, how could you invest that? Like, I just don't get it. I don't get it. Um, There are a lot of highs and lows. By the way, you haven't come to a bow hunting workshop this morning. This will make sense in a minute. There are a lot of highs and lows that lead to one glorious moment. That's, that's really, like, you're, there's a lot of work that goes into bow hunting. You know, rifle hunting, you can be a good distance away, um, and it, cr- it increases your advantage. But bow hunting, man, you need, you need to be up and close and personal um, with an animal that uh, few people have ever seen. Um, they're just really sneaky uh, creatures. And you kind of fall in love with this animal. It's kind of a weird thing. You learn to respect it. Um, and, and you go through a, a lot of highs and lows, and you're, you're looking forward to this one moment um, that, that it all comes together. And when it all comes together, I, it, it, is, it is hard to explain what that moment is like. Um, it's kind of like trying to explain what it's like to have a kid. You, you just can't explain it until you have one. And then you're like, wow. And then, well, like... That's what it's like to get close to a boat, a big buck, right? And harvest one. And so, um, I mean, like, I went years for, before I ever even saw one um, that, that, that I was close to. And I, I grew up, you know, I, I didn't start bow hunting until I was about 30. And uh, in Oklahoma, it's a little more challenging um, experience to hunt there um, than it is here. And uh, so I cut my teeth there and went several years before I ever even saw one. And then finally, um, you know, it all, it all came together for me. And I'm telling you, man, and I, I'm up there in that tree stand, and, and I'm just shaking like that. I can't stop shaking. And it is, it's an incredible experience. And so you suffer a lot of disappointment in the pursuit of these animals um, in this hobby. And uh, for, for me specifically, like even as recently as yesterday, I, I woke up at 4.30. Abby's gone. Um, she took Faith uh, down to Oklahoma to visit a school, and um, so I uh, I woke up at like 4.30, and I'm like, maybe I should just slip on out there. I wasn't really planning on going, and decided to go, and so I got up, and, and you know, that's sacrificing some sleep there, and I got up and left and made my way there and, and you know, got all my gear on and w- trekked into my tree stand and got up into the tree and pulled my bow up, and man, I'm there an hour before daybreak. Like, this is going good. You know, I get my bow off and look at it, and my quiver's gone. I have no arrows. That is not good for bow hunting. <laughs> and so um, you, get, you have disappointments like that. Things like that happen, or you miss. Um, I actually missed a buck this year, first time in years. Now I missed him by that much, man. So... You suffer a lot of disappointment. 
a lot of agony, a lot of groaning, but the key to motivation is, is the anticipation. And there are these moments, especially the first 45 minutes um, after sunrise and the, the last 45 minutes before sunset. I mean, you, you just start getting giddy. You're like, well, this is prime time. Like, he, he could come, and there are other deer coming. Oh, that's not him. That's not him. He's, you're just anticipating. And when he shows, then it's like, like it just, you're not prepared for it when it actually happens. And then it happens, and, and, and you're just like, again, I can't explain it. So why, are you, why are you talking about that? Well, Paul is going to talk to us today about suffering, okay? And, and he's going to talk about us going through agonizing moments. And the key to navigating through that is anticipation. That's, that's what he teaches. We're, we're going to look at one of the most famous um, scriptures, probably one of the most often quoted scriptures um, in the kingdom today, when it talks about all things work together for the, um, uh, for the good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And, and the, the way that happens is Paul teaches us how to navigate through suffering. It is through anticipation. There is something that we are to be anticipating, and that is how we're going to navigate through those times of suffering. You may have came here this morning, and you're dealing with some suffering, some agony yourself. You're, you're walking through something, and it's just hard for you. It's, it's a difficult time in your life, and so how do you navigate through that? The key is going to be anticipation. There, the, the Christian life is not one in which you give your life to Jesus, and everything is just this wonderful until you, um, until you die or until Christ returns. That's not what happens at all. As a matter of fact, it gets more complicated sometimes. It can become more difficult. Your life can become more difficult because you are entering now into a war that didn't exist before. Remember, Paul says, um, he taught us in the previous chapter, I keep on doing what I don't want to do and I don't do what I, I want to do. I'm, I'm messed up inside. I've got this war going on that didn't used to be there. And that's what happens when you become a believer is, is you are alive in Christ. The Lord is living inside of you, but your flesh still remains. And so you're having to overcome um, some temptations of the flesh and, and not letting sin reign in your mortal body. And as you press through that, um, then you're experiencing the freedom and life that Christ gives, but, but that's a difficult thing. And so we, we go through this process in the kingdom of suffering, and even some of the Roman Christians that this was written to, I mean, they were suffering literally. They were suffering being locked up and, and persecuted because they believed in Jesus and they would not deny him. And so there was a lot of, of, of real suffering going on, not, not the kind of suffering that we know that maybe it would have to do with um, just our disappointment. Things didn't work out like we want. Um, or somebody was mean to us because we believed in Jesus. They didn't want to have anything to do with us anymore. They thought we were weird. I mean, these people, they, they were being put in the Roman Colosseum and eaten, okay? They're, they were genuinely suffering persecution. And so Paul, he writes to them, and it's one of the most glorious chapters in the Bible. And, and, and he says in verse 18, I, I consider that our present sufferings, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. 
For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And the first thing that we learn that Paul wants to share with us is that creation groans. All of creation is groaning in the midst of this suffering. Um, he says, consider. I consider, he says. That is the Greek word logizomai, and it means reckon. And it's not like, well, hey, uh, you want to go fishing? And you're like, I reckon I will, right? It's not that kind of reckon. It's the kind of reckon that you reconcile your bank account. You look at your bank account, your bank account says you have $25 in it, then you have $25 in it. And so Paul is saying, I, I consider this, this is a fact of the matter, as he's saying, is that the fact is this present suffering that we experience as we're walking um, through life doesn't compare with the future glory that we have in the future. And he uses the word, he says, that will be revealed in us. And that is the Greek word apocalypto. It is the word um, to where we get the word apocalypse, which is the word revelation, okay? And we learned about that when we, we walked through the book of Revelation uh, not too long ago. And it, it's the unveiling. And so it's God unveiling something like a bride. Uh, and I remember um, when I married Abby and, you know, I hadn't seen her and, and, and she came in and there was the unveiling of my bride. And I've done countless weddings since that time. And it was always the same thing. We have the bride positioned somewhere away from everyone else. No one has seen her. Um, the groom has not seen her. And, and if we're in a church, um, or, which most of the weddings I've done are in churches, and, and all of a sudden, man, we, we bring in the, uh, the, the groomsmen and we bring in the bridesmaids and, and the whole wedding party is there. And then, the, and then the ring bearer and the flower girl comes down and everybody's all. And then the doors, man, they close. And everybody's waiting. And then they open, and I say, please rise. And everybody rises, and you can see the joy on everyone's faces. Even men, they get soft in this moment. They're, they're happy for that bride and that groom, and everybody smiles, and she comes in, man, and and we're in anticipation of the bride being revealed to her groom, and she comes forward, and, and that's what is happening. It's like creation is in this place that all of creation is waiting for the unveiling of the bride of Christ. That's what we are as believers. The, the body, the church is called the bride of Christ. And it says that even creation, the plants and, and the animal kingdom and, and just everything, all of the, everything in space, everything that is created, even the rocks, Jesus said that if these, if these people were silent, the Pharisees said, man, these people are pro proclaiming you as the Messiah, proclaiming you as God. And he said, tell them to be quiet. He said, he said, if they were to be quiet, even the rocks would cry out. And all of creation is anticipating the unveiling of the bride of Christ. And it waits in eager anticipation. It says it's a, an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. 
It waits in hope to be liberated and freed at the unveiling. You see, creation is in a place of suffering. What is the unveiling? It is the return of Christ. We know it as, in theological terms as the perusia, that Christ is returning to the planet for the second time. And, and he's, coming and he's coming for his bride, and he's coming to claim the earth for his own. So the earth, the earth doesn't go away. The Scripture teaches that it's clearly remade. It is renewed. Like what we have that happens to us spiritually as we are transformed into the image of Christ. And, and so right now, Jesus has paid for um, the sinners to be reclaimed. And Jesus has paid for by his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary, he, he uttered, he said, Tetelestai, it is finished, paid in full. He has paid for the planet, but he hasn't taken it yet. The, the scripture says that the, the prince of the peace, uh, the prince of darkness, is a, he's the ruler, he's the king of this world, okay? So he still has his dominion on the planet, but it's been paid for. And so Christ has redeemed the believer, and, and my soul has been paid for. But ultimately, Christ, he's, though things have been resurrected spiritually, in the future they will be resurrected physically, and Christ will take possession of the earth. You know, the earth doesn't blow up. The Scripture doesn't teach that. This is remade, um, that, that it... It goes through a process of transformation and all that was lost at the fall. And it says that it was all of creation was subjected. It was subjected to the surf suffering by God himself. Like the animal kingdom didn't play any role in it. Like the animals didn't used to eat each other. And so now they do. And they every time one of them eats the other one, it groans in eager anticipation for the unveiling of the sons of God. The ultimate earth day is when Jesus returns, right? That's when the planet gets fixed. It's going to continue to, to degrade. That doesn't mean that we don't try to be good stewards of it. We've been given the, the cultural mandate to be good stewards of all that has been entrusted to um, us as, as, as create creatures of God. But, but Ultimately, the only thing that is going to preserve the planet is when Christ comes back and he transforms it and he fixes what is spiraling out of control. So all of creation groans. And you can see it in the seasons. Spring gives, begins and things turn green. And the animals seem to have a spring in their step. The stuff begins to grow and all of a sudden the the trees put on all of these leaves, and they're groaning, they're pushing. And then here comes summer, and things start to dry, only to give way to fall when everything goes into a dormant phase to try to survive winter. And then in winter, like it just is cold, the cold, dark winter, and then it tries again. Year after year, it groans, but there's coming a time where it will no, not groan anymore. All that was lost will be regained by Christ. And so we look at that, and all of creation, everything that is ever created, is groaning in anticipation of the sons of God being revealed. He says, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, 
We groan inwardly. And as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. The believer groans, man. The believer groans deep inside. We groan because we have the first fruit of the Spirit. We have a foretaste of the glory to come. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. And we come to know Christ because the Father drew us unto himself. And through this relationship that we have with God, we responded to the grace that was offered to us. And all of a sudden, we became alive in Christ. We look at it, we go, I don't even know how that happened. I just know that it did happen. I used to be dead. I used to not care about the things of God. I used to not care about the Word. I used to not care about sin. But all of a sudden, now I hate sin. And I love righteousness. And I want to follow God. And I want to chase after Him. And I I hate it when I sin. And I hate it when I see the destructive power of sin in someone else's life. And I groan inwardly when I stumble. And I wait in eager expectation for the redemption of my body to match what has happened to my soul. And so I'm groaning on the inside. And I I look and I see here that um, those with the Spirit groan for the physical redemption of their bodies. And they anticipate that physical redemption. All right. Packing in some gear yesterday. My neck hurts, man. I can't see as good as I used to. And every year it seems to be getting worse, and my teeth are continuing to get worse and worse. It cost me $4,000 for a tooth to last me until the end of uh, uh, my life is over. $4,000 to chew my food. One tooth. I'm groaning on the inside, man. You say, look at it. Just things like I, my energy level, I have to really wait. It's it harder to lose weight. The older you get, the harder it is. And it, it just, I'm falling apart, man. What are you laughing at? You're falling apart too. <laughs> We're groaning on the inside, and we can see that. We're like, I'm looking like, it's just all there is, man. And when I'm on the inside, I just want that to be fixed and want it to be right, and our salvation produces a hope in us. And Paul says it's a hope that we cannot see. And so what do we do? He says we walk by faith and not by sight, and in the midst of our suffering, we recognize that we are eagerly anticipating a time where the sons of God will be revealed, where Christ will return to the planet, and we're part of that. Why are we a part of that? Because Jesus said we were. Is it because I go to church? No, I go to church because I'm a part of it. I'm a part of it because Jesus said I was a part of it because I said yes to Jesus when he offered me the grace to cover my sin, become a perfect sacrifice, and put me in a right relationship with God, made me righteous. I have become righteous. How do you become righteous? Jonah, I want you to be righteous today. What are you going to do? What many people think that you try to do is, well, I'm going to start doing good. How much good do you have to do before all of a sudden you're like, righteous? And how much bad do you have to do? You go, evil. 
You can't ever get to righteous if you've got any of the evil. And we know we all have part of the evil. And so the only thing we can do is rely on God in faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. We place our trust in Jesus. And as we place our trust in Jesus as being the perfect righteous sacrifice, you see, it was unjust for him to suffer anything because we could find no fault in him. But he took on our sin, and therein lies the fault. He was willing to receive our sin. It was all cast upon him at the cross of Calvary. And all of a sudden, because he becomes the sin offering when he wasn't the one who deserved the sin, God can propitiate our sins, take them off of us and put them on Jesus. And because they have been put on Jesus, he can now take Jesus's righteousness and put them on us. But if a person is unwilling to receive Jesus as the sacrifice, God cannot put the righteousness of Christ in that person because they are denying that Jesus was God in the flesh. And there is no hope for that person to be saved. But those who have become followers of Jesus and have received that, our salvation produce, uh, produces a hope in us that we cannot see. And we know the best is yet to come. And, and we anticipate that. And as we anticipate that, when things aren't going great, like, I don't have my arrows. I, there, I have one of two things that I can do in that moment when I recognize I don't have my arrows. I can be like, ah, I'm so stupid. This day is horrible. Then I can go home and I can holler at Jonah and, the, and, and Abby and kick Red Dog in the rear. Right? My whole day is ruined. Or you can be like, yeah, my body one day will be redeemed. I'll never forget things like that again. Like, I'll, I'll never lose them. And, and I'm up in this tree, and there are a lot of people that can't even climb a tree, man. Look, I can still climb a tree. And the only way I can get from going to the one attitude, the sour attitude, is just stop and go, I'm, I'm one of the children of God, and even though I suffer in little silly things like this, they don't have to own me. I have my health. I have, I have my, like, things are pretty good in my life. And even if they weren't, I can just look forward to the time that, that Christ will return. I, I know him. My body will be redeemed. Everything will be made right. And so in the midst of the, the groaning, I just anticipate. But it, it gets better. It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he searches our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. The Spirit groans. <laughs> the creation groans, the believer groans, and even the Spirit, God groans. The Spirit is God. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We have the doctrine of the Trinity. We see it all over in Scripture. And so God is in us, and he is groaning in us, even with creation and the believer. The Spirit, he says, helps us in our weakness. I'm reminded again, going back to chapter 7, Paul says, I don't do what I want to do, and I, I, I do what I don't want to do. He says, the Spirit helps me in the midst of that. He says, the Spirit prays through us with wordless groans. Now, some would teach that that um, is speaking in tongues, but that's not what it says. There's no language there. It's a wordless groan. 
It's, it's something that is inexpressible. It's just a deep, a deepness in us where we can't find the words of what we're frustrated by, the, the suffering that we're experiencing as we're walking in the midst of that. The Spirit prays that way. He knows the mind of God, so he intercedes. And it says that, that he prays, I think what this is teaching, he prays God's will in us, because it says according to God's will. He searches our hearts and he knows God. He knows us and he knows God because he is God and he knows everything about us. The word heart is the word cardia, and it means um, the center and seat of spiritual life. God, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of the difficulty, he's looking deep inside of the center of my spiritual life. And he searches for the things of heaven. He searches for the things of heaven in us and helps us to bring them to earth according to God's will. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the Spirit searches there, even when I can't find it. When I stumble in my sin and I, I'm, I'm broken over what I'm doing and I'm confused and I don't know what to do in the midst of a situation, the Spirit is at work in me and he's groaning, he's searching, in the midst of my heart and he's looking for the things of the kingdom and if I'm sensitive to the spirit of Christ then I can hear his voice that's why Jesus said my sheep listen they know my voice they listen they hear another they will not follow I can hear him and he will show me he will bring about the things of the kingdom he will bring them here to earth according to God's will so this is how all things work for the good of those who love him it doesn't say all things are good. <laughs> it says all things work for the good. And the word works there, uh, it worked for the good. It's the Greek word synergeo, and it means to assist with power. And so the Spirit works with and through us to bring good from all experiences. Some experiences I will experience suffering because others have inflicted something on me. Maybe it's a difference in their belief system and I, I'm experiencing a rejection relationally from them because they believe differently than I do. And, and so all of a sudden, I'm experiencing suffering from that. And that's, that's a wound that is inflicted by other people. Sometimes just the system itself. The scripture says the world, there's a world system out there. It is an evil system. And sometimes it will inflict suffering on us, you know, the the kids, our kids all go to public school, and they have to go through this sometimes. Like They're frustrated by a lot of the things that are happening in this woke world. And I have to remind them, we are the ones that are woke. It's okay. You just have to navigate through that. It's the world that we live in, and before it ever gets better, it's going to get worse. Just like the planet's going to get worse. So we suffer sometimes because of the system itself, and we're trying to live according to truth and bring heaven to earth as the Spirit searches our hearts. The deep seed of the a spiritual life inside of us is trying to bring heaven to earth. And sometimes there's a conflict between those two um, kingdoms, and we're going to suffer in the midst of it. Sometimes we suffer because of our own self-inflicted wounds. We will stumble in sin and we will rebel against what God would desire for us to do in a moment, and we still love God, we just gave in to temptation. 
And we stumbled. And we will suffer in the midst of that. And there will be consequences. Um, Sometimes God will do things that will chastise and discipline us to grow us up. But in all of these experiences, they will work to the good for those who love God. God will take them, he will use them, and he will work in the midst of them. You see, is it God's will for us to sin? No, but he... In our midst of our sin, when we sin, he will, if we will listen, he will step into that and work it out for the good. Um, and he will work it out for the good when you're experiencing some kind of suffering from those outside of the kingdom. Um, he will work in the midst of suffering when, you're, when you experience from people inside the kingdom. That's a real reality as well, because we're fallen creatures. And and we look at that, and sometimes we hurt each other's feelings, even believers inside the kingdom. But God will work in the midst of that for the good if we love him. And he will bring out a deeper relationship from it if we will trust him. And so it's encouraging um, to see that when I'm suffering, the Spirit is searching. When I don't know what to say, he is looking to help me to assist what it is that I'm to say. That's why Jesus said, don't worry about when they bring you before the magistrates and the governors and all these different people about what you're to say for the spirit who is in you that will give you the words because he's searching the cardia, the deep center of all spiritual life inside of you. And if you will listen, you're sensitive. You say, how do I get sensitive? you got to be in the word, man. you got to be praying. you got to be in constant communion with he who is in you. Again, I'm reminded, greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. That's what the word teaches us. And so as we walk that out, man, we're, we're sensitive to it. And we find the encouragement. And there, there's encouragement in the glory to be revealed. There's encouragement in the help of the Holy Spirit. And there's encouragement to know that all things will work out for the good of those who love God, even when you blow it and are walking through repentance. God will step into that and work it out for good. It's a beautiful thing, man, the gospel. There's nothing like it in all the world. And he goes on and he says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now, I won't attempt to explain this attribute philosophically. That's not the point, and I can't do it. People have been trying and debating, what does this mean when it comes to the sovereignty of God and the free will of man? Some things our finite minds cannot grasp. His ways are not like our ways. And we can talk about them. We can try to think through them. But what I do know is that Scripture teaches the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. He knows all. But it also teaches the free will of man. And and as I see that, I accept that in faith, and I don't fully expect to grasp it until I am changed in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet when I will be like him. John says, we shall see him, and we shall be like him. And I think, oh, I get it. Until that time, I'm not going to get everything. Um, And maybe not even at that time I will get everything. But I look at this and I go, man, one thing I can see is that he says that he predestined, I believe this is teaching that he predestined the chosen to be conformed to the image of Jesus. He's the firstborn among many. 
And so Jesus is the firstborn, the first fruits of the physical resurrection himself. Nobody else has been resurrected bodily. So what about Lazarus? And what about Jairus' daughter? And, and what about that one mom, you know, she walked through and her it was a funeral and Jesus raised him from the dead. They all died again. <laughs> so they just were brought back to the same kind of life. Jesus was brought back to a different kind of life. Jesus was sown perishable but raised imperishable. And that's what the writer or Paul says in Corinthians, um, I think it's 1 Corinthians 15, um, we are sown um, in dishonor and raised in glory. And boy, if you've ever seen anybody who go through the end of life, they've lived a long, full life, and they're lying on their deathbed, and they begin to struggle for their last breaths on earth. They are sown in dishonor. Never watch one of them and go, look at that. It's a beautiful thing there. They're sown in dishonor, but they're raised in glory. That body is sown in dishonor. Now, you can see in there, you can see spiritually something happening there. And I've been um, fortunate enough to be at the bedside of, of the death of many saints and watching something glorious happen as a believer is, is leaving that temporary thing. But that, that body, there's nothing glorious about it at that point. It changes colors. It gets stiff in moments. And it still looks like them, but it, it's just different. It's sown in dishonor. But one day it will be raised in glory. And so he's saying that, that everyone who has come to know the Lord and has the Lord, they will come to the full um, conformity to the image of Jesus who is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. <laughs> In the beginning, God created, and he had man and woman, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. And things got messed up, but they still were fruitful and multiplied as they were supposed to be. But now they're doing it in a fallen world. Everything's broken for thousands of years. Sin gains a stranglehold on everything. And Jesus comes to set it free. And as he comes to set it free, what does he say? He gives us not the cultural mandate to be fruitful and multiply physically. He gives us the gospel mandate to be fruitful and multiply spiritually. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so as we engage in that fruitfulness of reproducing other disciples, we are fulfilling the gospel mandate, and we are multiplying because Jesus is the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. And so we come alive in Christ spiritually, we're resurrected spiritually, but we're still suffering in this tent, this body, and we're navigating through this physical life, and we will eventually die and be sown in dishonor. But when Jesus, the firstborn of many brothers and sisters returns, the bodily resurrection will take place to reunite the soul and the body together, and we will take on the imperishable forever and ever. And heaven is not a place where everybody goes. Heaven is not a spiritual sort of ghostly place. Heaven, like when we think of the kingdom 
in the future. It is where we are at right now without the fall. Everything fixed. It is the earth in which we love. It is the life in which we have come to love and sometimes will idolize over our pride will keep us from um, submitting to Christ as God. And so therefore our life that we're trying to live in the here and now is the very thing that will cost us our life in the then and there. That's why Jesus said, man, you try to look for your life on this side, you're going to lose it. But if you will lose your life right now, you will find it. For me to live um, is Christ, but for me to die is gain because I look in and I have anticipation that my body will be raised to live with Christ forever and ever. And so he says that, that I'm going to be a part of that. As Jesus was raised from the dead and he was, his body, like, there's no body. That's the key. That's the, that's, that's the crux, right, of Christianity is the resurrection. You take out the resurrection and Christianity is like, yeah, yeah, whatever. The resurrection is the key to Christianity because it, it says that the sacrifice, which was the death of Christ on the cross, it says it was accepted. It, it says to us that it is accepted by God the Father. And, and so now, we can expect with eager anticipation to experience the same thing that Jesus experienced, which is a reuniting of the soul and the body. So if to be absent from the body today is to be present from the, with the Lord today in paradise, but it is not, that, that's not the end. There's coming a day where the, the soul, all those who are, are dead in Christ, they shall be raised first and they will be reunited with their bodies. And then those who still remain, will follow them. <laughs> That's good stuff, man. I'm encouraged by that. He said, I'm called, Paul says in verse 30, I'm, I'm, those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. Now, here's the big idea. We don't focus on today's suffering. We look forward to tomorrow's glory. You got a tough week this week at work. Things are spiraling out of control. The first thing you need to do is just check yourself and go, wait a minute, a little bit of suffering here. I need to focus on tomorrow's glory for a moment, and it'll help me get through today's suffering. You find out, you go to the doctor this week, find out I've just been diagnosed with cancer, and that will hit you, man, and you will, like, it will stop you in your tracks, but we don't focus on today's sufferings, we look forward to tomorrow's glory. That's how we navigate through those situations. And we see God moving in our midst and helping us. One thing that is fascinating about this is he says, I'm called, I'm justified, and I'm glorified. And glorified is in the past tense. Like, I'm already glorified. I'm already glorified to God, just not yet for me. And so I walk by faith until then. And I stay encouraged anticipating the best is yet to come. And so for God, who is working in time, he is also outside of time. And I have to be careful or we'll get into a little, right? But for God, he, I'm already in a glorified state. He already sees me as I will be. 
Because though he is functioning in time, the revelation is not for God to see what I will be. He already knows what I will be. I'm already glorified to God. It is a revelation to all of creation. <laughs> the redemption of the body of the sons of God and all of creation and even the angelic realm will look and behold the mightiness and the gloriness of God as he takes someone who is lowly, lower than the angels, and remember, it was an angel who screwed it all up in the first time, first place. It would rebel against God. It will take something that is lower with less power than that angel that is trying to, um, trying to take God's glory from, from him. He will use something smaller and insignificant. And through the power of grace, when that creature comprehends um, grace and truth and receives it, then he will be glorified. And there will be a time when all of the angelic realm and every creature and the plants and the animals and everything that exists and even the sinner will behold what God has done in a wretched man like me. <laughs> and it won't be because I was preaching sermons to you guys. It won't be because of any of that. It will just be because I believed in Jesus and called upon his name and I was saved. <laughs> That's the good news. That's good news. And I may suffer this week, but I will not suffer like those who don't know Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the gospel. And we're encouraged by it. We're encouraged to know that you see us already as glorified. And help us, Lord, to anticipate that so that we may navigate in a way that brings honor and glory to you in the here and now and will only intensify the celebration of what is yet to come. You may be here as you're in a spirit of prayer and you don't know Jesus today. You've never said yes to Christ. You may be sitting there and Christ is coming after you. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I could tell, like, beating down in my cardia, I could feel, like, with every fiber of my being, something is after me right now. And that is the Lord. He's chasing after me. And I remember saying, yes, I want to follow you. I believe, Jesus. I believe. And I, I believed in my heart and made confession with my mouth and accepted Christ. And I became a child of God because I accepted the gift that he offered. And that may be you today. Um, and I would encourage you to pray. You know, I, I don't know if that, I don't know, like if, I'm not trying to talk you into something, okay? Because if I can talk you into something, the enemy can talk you out of it. My job is simply to proclaim the gospel. And I've done that today. But this thing is, man, it is individual. It is tailored specific to every person. And the Holy Spirit comes for each one of us. And it's your life to give, not God's life to take. And so if you want to give him your life, you know right now whether or not he's calling. And if you want to give him your life, what you need to do is surrender. Just raise the white flag 
and say, I'm done fighting against you, God. I surrender. And you say, what do I say? The Spirit is searching your heart, and with deep groans, He will say what needs to be said. You just need to let Him say it. You need to let go is what you need to do. And you will know if you're letting go. And that's what we mean when we say getting saved, being born again. Jesus, have your way. Be with those that you may be inviting into the kingdom today. Help them to have the courage to share the good news of what happened if they say yes to you. They surrender to you this morning. And help us all, Lord, as we go through whatever suffering you may have, whatever agony, whatever frustration we may face this week, may we as believers shine in the midst of it so that others can see that we don't suffer like everyone else. We love you and thank you and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.